Welcome to Opening Presence, the podcast about creative self-realization. My name is Aaron Robinson. Thank you so much for joining me. In today's episode, I sit down with Shane Brenton. He is a comedian, actor, and writer. For this conversation, we met up at Columbia Park and wrapped about a wide range of topics, including one of my favorite things, chicken wings. We also discovered that we both were born in San Diego, and naturally, we needed to vent about some of our more awkward encounters with Portland white folks. If you enjoy this episode, make sure to share it with a friend. Now, without further ado, welcome to Opening Presents. in beautiful Columbia Park, oh, yeah. the best park in all of Portland, <laughs> in case you all didn't know. Welcome to Opening Presence. My name is Aaron Robinson. I am joined by the biracial angel. Yes, sir. Mr. Shane. <laughs> Shane Brendan. Yes, sir. How yes, are sir. you? Oh, good, man. That's, a, that's that my credit for the podcast? Yeah. That's what you're going to have in this, the, the description? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> that could be the, that's the episode title. The biracial angel. Yeah. Well, just you, you, you too are a part of the club of biracial. See, angels. I'm like a triracial angel, though. Oh wow! Yeah, but grandmother's Filipino, though. So oh shit! Yeah. Oh shit! Yeah, no. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> actually, actually, before you showed up here, I, I was like, all right, let me get my picture of my grandma for proof. And, yeah, for and have Pinoy it ready. Proof. Oh yeah. Pinoy proof. <laughs> oh yeah. If there's any doubt, here you go. Oh, man, your grandma was gorgeous. Yes, she was. Wow. <laughs> yeah, a lo- that's weird because a lot of Filipino women. Uh, that if, if the picture Aaron just showed me is in black and white. She looks like an old, just light skinned black woman. <laughs> Pretty like, much, just, just bad. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. Damn. So, grandma is Filipino. Granddad never met him. Never met him. Never met Any him. Guess thou thou name shall not be spoken. Uh, like Voldemort. Voldemort. <laughs> yep, yep. That that dude. Grandma Filipino. Granddad Voldemort. Yep. Pretty <laughs> much. Uh, a uh, grandson sorcerer of sorts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. More, more of a sage these days yeah. than sorcerer, <laughs> for sure. I definitely got some magic, but yeah, never met him. Uh, great-grandmother, Puerto Rican. Bro. Yeah, and then dad's side of the family, like light-skinned black, so there were, we were definitely house niggas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. <laughs> Wait, okay, so how how did everyone end up in the States? Was grandma already a, a citizen? Did she come over from the P.I.? Uh, Granddad was probably a sailor, honestly, man. That's how they were made back in the day. Pretty much, yeah. yeah. Yeah, honestly, the thing about my family, the there weren't very many storytellers. Mm. That's, like, the one thing, because it's, like, I've tried to, like, piece together certain things, but my mom has since passed, and my, my grandmother, the photo I just showed you, she's passed. So, like, my whole mom's side of the family, it was not a lot of stories, not a lot of men in the family. Like, right. I have, like like, the one gay uncle who, like, lived at my grandmother's house and, mm-hmm. and like, was never really, like, a storyteller or, like, dropped any, like, wisdom or anything besides, like, what belt should I wear with this hat? <laughs> <laughs> Which and is important. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. You got to coordinate. Yeah, yeah I, de- <laughs> I definitely uh, have some of those gifts as far as uh, aesthetics, mm-hmm. but but never, like, had the sit-down, like, oh, this is where uh, right. he came in and da-da-da-da. So I'm wow. kind of just out here trying to figure it out in my everyday experience, uncovering certain types of just new awareness and be like hmm 
I definitely got this from somewhere. Right. I've decoded like my artistry and like putting things together. I definitely got from my grand grandfather from my dad's side. Like I have a picture of him and the frame is like a wooden frame, but on the back is like a folded up, cut out, tied laundry detergent box Whoa. with like a staple in the back of it. So yeah. I'm like, oh, that's definitely like that that uh, homemaker yeah, yeah. like artist. The I'm DIY like, right, stuff. That, yeah, exactly. That, wow. I got that from him for sure. But everything else is a mystery. The mom's is half Filipino and Puerto Rican and black. What? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. You're like the United Nations of people. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I was special, but you just came yeah. shadow over my <laughs> Have you ever done the 23andMe stuff to find out? I did. In my dad's side of the family, my grandmother was always like, yeah, we're like part Native American, too. Mm-hmm. And then like when it didn't say Native American on it, well, I was know, like. black folks think they I know, part. I know. It was like <laughs> That's the like hair. Good hair. I know. I know. It was like the hair. I was like, I swear this is West African hair. <laughs> and then I just ignored the, like, the European part because I was like, nah, fuck no that. No West Indian heritage in there? Uh, No. No? No. Hmm. Yeah. I guess you're just a light-skinned nigga in Portland. I know. That's, that's I'm in, what I'm the 23 good, and Me thinks. <laughs> yeah, I'm in, I'm in good company, though. I'm in great company right now. <laughs> Damn. Yeah, we should have an adobo cook-off. Oh, bro, you don't want no problems But it's going to... You don't, you no don't think so? Do you throw a little flour in there? Bro, come on now. <laughs> come on. You make a little, Dude, like, make a little rui? That, oh, yeah, of okay, course. Okay, okay. The, there, are, there are, like, four, mm, five or six dishes that I can still make, uh from scratch without looking at any directions that's just embedded in me mm. from, you know, when I was a kid because my mom would always make – this thing about my mom, she's Filipino, but she, you know, my dad met her when she was real young in San Diego. That's where I'm from. Oh, you were born there? Yep. Me too. Where, were you born in Balboa House? Where were you born in? No, Poway. Poway? Okay. Mm-hmm. I was military brat, so I was born okay. in the Naval Base Hospital in San Diego. Dope. Uh he met her there, but then he they got married, had me, and then he immediately had to get transferred. Uh, well, he had to go overseas. My dad was a SEAL, mm. so he was gone a lot. Sure. And my mom didn't really have any other family other than her sister, and she was married to a sailor, too. And they got relocated, like, to Spain. So when my dad was leaving to go overseas, he was like, go live with, you know, my side of the family, all the black folks down in Augusta, Georgia. So it's like my mom went from just like trying to learn how to speak English and learning the culture in California in San Diego to meeting this the strapping Bahamian Thor looking motherfucker who's a Navy <laughs> SEAL and him being like, I'll be back in a year. I'm gonna drop you off with these country ass niggas. Oh down there. you take care of this little weird looking boy. <laughs> and he ended up being gone for like two years. So like everything like in my mom's like formative years of becoming an American, she just she was just surrounded by all these like country ass folks, mm. so she's a Filipino woman with a country accent. It sounds like a black woman. This is before the term cultural appropriation was around. She was just genuinely surrounded by my country ass grandma, granddaddy, yeah, aunts and uncles and shit. So she'd be hooking up Filipino food for them, and their heads would explode. Like the first time she made lumpia, man, I, I saw my my cousins try to step on my auntie's throat to just try to get another one of yeah. like making pancit. You don't give me one or more more of those egg rolls, yeah. I'm gonna kick your yeah. ass. <laughs> Shane, tell your mama to make some more of them egg rolls in that <laughs> in that pancit, you know, that adobo. I love pancit, yeah. So I still remember how to make the comfort foods, the okay. pancit, the, the adobo, uh 
of course, you know, like traditional Filipino breakfast, mm-hmm. which is like, uh, what is it? It's like the blood sausage kind of thing and garlic rice, and some eggs, spam on everything yeah. <laughs> type shit. Yeah, spam, spam, fried spam, white rice, egg, over easy, yeah. green onion. Yeah. That's just, that's, that was every meal in college. Yeah, that's, that's breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Yeah. For and the a rest, snack when for I the rest of my life. High. Yeah. Yeah. Once but I'm I'm starting to do this like no meat thing. I I cheated a little bit today, but over the last sixty, seventy days I've eaten meat like three times. And wow. Today was one of those days. Is your body rejecting it right now? No, it's 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 all good. Like the I guess like that that primordial like instinct to hunt yeah. that's in all humans, like kind of becomes neutralized like after you kind of like remove it because it's like oh like that that idea of like i have to go get my prey mm-hmm. that has kind of gone so i'm like kind of cool just sitting back and mm-hmm. and when i'm hungry i'm not like i have to go get an animal right now it's just like oh, i'll just eat these almonds or something i need to get to that point I don't it's know. an experiment everything i'm doing is just an experiment and then i'm just regurgitating what i'm learning about myself right. and then i'm just trying to create a career out of it <laughs> <laughs> i was like oh how could i just learn some cool shit that helps me and then just but you're the test it? subject yeah for sure for sure and then maybe inspire somebody else to eat leaves and shit i, I feel like i want to get there because uh, i'm getting older and i i still eat like I'm in my twenties, like I have a metabolism. Yeah, I don't look. I bro, I eat like a garbage disposal, <laughs> and it's like you, like you were saying, like I don't have you know that instinct, that hunter instinct in me. Like I need to eat meat right now. My whole thing has always been like I'm hungry. What's closest to me? What's sure. the easiest thing to make? Yeah, have a fridge full of food, veggies, all kinds of healthy stuff. Because my wife is a health freak. But me, I'm moving all that shit to the side and just grabbing, like, bratwurst in the back. <laughs> no buns. Just throwing them Yo, shits in. <laughs> microwave, broiler, or or just in the oven? Oh, bro, I got an air fryer now, so oh, the game dog. Has Okay, so everybody's been the talking about... Changed, everybody bro. talks about the air fryer, and I'm just like, wait, so you can, you can like, batter, like, put, like, fried chicken yes. in it. Like, fried chicken. Bro, my like, hot wing game has gone through the roof with the air fryer. Okay. Because I'm thinking, like, it's healthier because there's no oil, oil involved. Yeah. But I mean, now I'm just eating a hundred times more hot wings. Uh huh. But I'm freaking so, them. So yeah, wings is you don't want to see me in the wing game. The wing game. Is, I'm new to the wing game. Okay, I do. So yeah, what's I do, your process? Okay, so I do uh, like a Cajun wing, crispy wing. I there's this Cajun sauce. It's in like this green little shaker. Mm-hmm. It's basically. I don't know. It looks like Lowry's. Like that's the color of it, but it's not just all salt. It's like mm-hmm. a Cajun seasoning. But I just sprinkle that over the wings both sides throw them in the oven at 350 but then like i cook them extra long though so they get crispy on the outside yeah so you got to have that crunch you don't hit it with baking soda coating or anything before you no, throw them in there not at all just the, just crisp. the just the just the skin because the breading on it mm-hmm. like when you go to like like in san diego there's like wings and things Ooh, see they just that. give you they, they <laughs> just give you like a big old like like soup bowl of buffalo sauce yes. and these soggy ass rubbery <laughs> fucking wings and it's like what the fuck is this bullshit i need to have crispy on the wings like wing stop yeah get them extra like well done yeah that's yeah. the move yeah well you can't can't fault uh what was it wings and things yeah wings yeah, and things they got breadsticks their breadsticks are i remember that they used to put me to sleep yeah I, oh bro i remember probably one of the last time i went to wing stop i was uh, i just came from I was at SDSU because some of my 
fraternity, bro, like the, the the younger homies, they were having just like a, a get together or whatever. And since I was like a part of the grad chapter down there, they invited me over. So I had my paraphernalia on. My, I'm a Sigma, so it's like blue and white stuff. And I left the meeting and I stopped at Wings and things. And there was some, some little gang banging ass homies just stand out in front with the red on. They were like, Hey, what's up? What's up with them colors, bro? Where you Where you at, bro? Like, where you come? I was like, it took me a while to realize. I was like, are these little niggas talking to me? And then I looked over, and they was just like, man, what them letters on your chest mean, bro? What like what set you claim? I was like, oh no, no, gentlemen, no. I am a college educated man. You see. This is a fraternity. And they were just like, fuck all that. You better get your ass. And I was just like. I'll get out of here. I respect your space, but I got ten wings on the way. So <laughs> I will take this and jacket. Some says, we would have probably been friends. I would have been friends because I'm a teak, and we got red. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. we had teaks on my campus. Yeah, Those boys were no- wild. Nothing but trouble. Those boys. Nothing but crazy. trouble. Like the like, I went to college like 15 minutes away from where I grew up, so mm-hmm. it's like I already had friends in the area, but it was just like, oh, college. I'm in college now. Let me, let me. Join a fraternity, right. and it was just Where'd like you go to school? Uh, Cal State San Marcos, in North County. Yeah. So I was, I grew up in Carlsbad. So oh, yeah. it was just shout out to Carlsbad, shout yeah. out to the homies. Yeah, yeah. Been out there. Yeah, earlier. yeah. I didn't realize you were a Southern California boy. Yeah, born and raised, and came up here four years ago. Just had you to. Got, you got a little. See, you're getting attacked. You got spiders on the dreads, man. Oh, you, you got life. spiders, dog. Spiders have been showing up. Like I pay attention to like spirit animals and shit, like. So you got a ladybug. I know. Head. I'm learning to respect nature. You're like I in touch with shit. Yield, yield to nature is like the newest thing. I'm. What does like, that mean? Yield. You're not gonna kill a big ass spider if you're in the shower and you. Dog, see I I had an experience where there was a bunch of ants. We'll get back to San Diego. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I had there was a bunch of ants in the in the kitchen and I just windexed them. I like I wiped them all out, and I'm starting to after like my I was talking to you about my ayahuasca journey and stuff, just being a lot more in touch with what I believe God is or what the universe is and how to communicate with, with the higher power. Right. And, and I'm like, I'm sorry, I'll do better next time instead of just wiping out this ant population. You felt and immediate remorse for... I didn't feel remorse. I just I was just aware of, of me killing another being. So I was like, okay, I'll do better. Hundreds of lives. Yeah, yeah, hundreds of lives. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> Tulsa in Portland in <laughs> by your sink. Yeah, yeah. Damn. Yeah. So I was like I was like, I'll do better next time. So a couple days goes by and I'm on the computer editing something. And I kid you not, this fucking fat spider was just walking just walking across the wall. And I like I was like, Oh shit. Yeah. And then I got like a old candle that like had already been like just the jar mm-hmm. and I went over and like captured it and released it. And when I released it I looked up to the sky and I was like I told you I'd do better, and I and I did, and this is I what did. You want. Yeah, exactly. So starting to to gain a little bit more intimate uh, relationship with the G word. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So that's that's wow. kind of like the space where I'm gravitating into. See, you were doing that with that thought process of trying to be, trying to yield to nature. I find myself doing the same thing, where I think I've slayed whole villages of ants mm-hmm. just in my back patio because they'll just be around but then i'll, I'll feel bad because i'm just like i've we've intruded on their territory 100 and now i'm the wild dickhead spraying them out just because you know i want to sit underneath my little uh my little backyard patio thing and not have ants crawl on me so then i'll the next day 
Or even the same day, I'll go in the crib, and now, you know, it's the season, spiders are coming out of the woodworks. Oh, yeah. So I will go out of my way to first not make any noise, like, oh, shit, a spider, because my wife immediately will go into kill mode. She's like, fuck it. Let's kill that yeah, motherfucker. dead. I will look for a cup or something, do the whole thing, put the cup on top, slide a piece of paper under, and try to navigate my way to the backyard to let it out. <laughs> and I immediately feel like I've paid paid the universe back or yeah, whatever. Or for I sure. hope other spiders see me from the trees like, you know what, he ain't that bad, man. <laughs> Shane ain't that he bad. He ain't that bad at yeah, all, He really man. is an angel. He's a good dude, man. He's a good dude. <laughs> He's straight. But the other night I was, in, I was in the shower in between rinsing and repeating. Bro, I opened my eyes and there was just a fat, fat spider posted up on the tile in the shower looking at me. And I just froze. And I just didn't even finish my shower, man. I just, you just stopped. Turned the water off. It went the opposite way to get out of the shower like I normally do. Just got out. Yeah. And then just... I just I turned the lights off and just ran. Yeah, <laughs> just somebody leave it for somebody else. Yeah, I'm just like, hey, that's that's wifey's problem. When she uh, wakes up to go to that's school. That's so funny. <laughs> the, the leave it for somebody else scenario happened to me. I remember growing up and there was like a like a bird's nest, like where they like build like the little like mud nest, like mm-hmm. in like the front of the the a frame of the house. Mm-hmm. And there's like in that corner there was like a little mud thing, and the birds would come fly in and out. And my mom one day was like, Aaron, like, take that thing down. So I got a hose and started, like, spraying, like, this little mud hut. And then it just all comes down. Like, the mud just disintegrates and falls to the ground. And there's baby fucking. No, not spiders. No, baby, like, birds. Oh, no. Yeah, baby birds. And, like, they came out. And, like, they were just chilling, like, on the ground. And I ran inside. And I got my brother, and my brother was just like he, like he, like handled it all and stuff. And I was like, I couldn't do it. It just scarred me. Whoa. Like I saw like these little chicks, and I was like, Oh my god, Oh my god, Ryan, can oh, you do crazy. this? But like, shout out to my brother for handling <laughs> those, handling those, <laughs> the bird those birds. But yeah, that was in San Diego. How long were you down there? Oh man, uh, I was born there, and we were there for probably like a year, and then we moved to the south, you know, because my dad was deployed. Uh, I didn't, I didn't return to San Diego until after I joined the service and damn, when did I, 2004 is where I joined and that was my first duty station right out of boot camp and I was in Great Lakes, Illinois and then they sent me to Miramar. Uh huh. Yeah. I was going to ask if you were at Camp Pendleton. Yeah. No, that was, I, I ended up at Pendleton for one of my duty stations and then. But Miramar was like my training thing because I was a corpsman, a hospital corpsman. I worked with Marines exclusively. Mm-hmm. And then from there, it was like 29 Palms. Yeah. So, like, every I would always deploy. I'd be gone all the time, but I'd always come back mm-hmm. to San Diego. I think I lived in San Diego proper, uh, shit, for probably like seven, eight years. Okay. And, boy, it was great. Yep. <laughs> It Dude, was, I wish I great. I wish I grew up here and then moved there. Like I have plenty of friends when I was down there, like that moved from other places like Santa Cruz, yeah, yeah. Boston, yeah. like all these other places, and then they land in in California in San Diego, and I'm just like, oh my gosh, you guys got it all figured out because you get to fulfill the, your sense of adventure by leaving home, mm-hmm. but then you live in the best place in the world, and you're yeah. like, you get validated. You're like, oh, I am a smart person. I just <laughs> I moved I moved to paradise, yeah. and and it was my decision. Yeah, and you get to pat yourself on the back for that, and then me as someone who grew up there. Like, I moved to Portland, and everyone's like, why the fuck did you Why move to you Portland? And it's just like, you have to leave home to figure out who the fuck you are. That's true. But it's hard when home is probably one of the best places yeah, to live. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, I don't... Would you leave? 
When? When? Yeah. Uh, four years ago. Damn, you only been so you only been here a year longer than me. Mm-hmm. I thought you'd been here already. You just look like you look I like type nigga that has a pollen aesthetic. Yeah, I I acclimate <laughs> pretty quickly. I do that too. Yeah. To to I think that's <laughs> fading now. I'm getting older. I'm just like fucking. I am what I am, and I, I look how I look or whatever. <laughs> but yeah, San Diego was a trip, bro. Like I used to. I live. I like upgraded different parts of town as I made more rank and got more money. Mm-hmm. Like when I was first out there. I was just living on base in the barracks because I was a broke, you know, low, low enlisted ranking dude. And I started making more rank, and then I moved out into Lemon Grove. I don't know if you remember yep. that. Yep. Outskirts with some homies. When My I grandmother was, lived in Lemon Grove. The Grove was kind of hood. Yeah. Yeah. But it reminded me a lot of Memphis, so I felt cool there. And then made some more money and moved closer to the beach. Mm-hmm. And then I ended up in like a uh, ocean beach. Yep. Had a little bundle. That's where the alcoholics there. are. Oh, yeah. That's why I was out there. <laughs> I live right down. I, I live right around the corner from, like, GoDad's. It was, like, a burger place or something uh-huh. like that. And then I moved to PB because I was okay. like, that's more party. That's where all the alcoholics that's are. That's all the <laughs> And then the last place I lived before I dipped out of San Diego, uh, I was in La Jolla. Yep. Because now. That's where all the opioids are. Yeah. I just followed the, the party. Folks are. I followed the party, yeah. man. And then, uh, yeah, and then, and then dipped out of there. But. It was cool. I haven't been back to San Diego since I left, mm. and uh, I want to go back and visit. I still got homies that have gotten out of the military, and I started comedy down there, too, so I still have a few homies that are down there. Mm-hmm. Like at the Playhouse? Uh, No, it was uh, my home club. Shout out to the Madhouse Comedy Club. It was, uh, remember the Horton, Horton Plaza Mall? Yes. Uh, they're on the top of that. Horton Plaza Mall, for those who don't know, uh, it's an outdoor kind of mall in San yeah. Diego. Four stories, and there's a club that used to be at the top of the parking structure at Horton called the uh, Madhouse Comedy Club. And fucking, I started there. That was my home club. They were the first club to, like, pat what they call pass. is like, you know, give me a job there. Mm-hmm. Put me in a regular rotation of hosting comics and all that. And not Rocco. Rocco's giving me eyes right now. And, uh, yeah, I did that. Then they had the La Jolla Comedy Store, which is like the uh, minor leagues of the Hollywood Comedy Store. Mm. And then they had the Comedy Palace. So, like, San Diego was like a comedy, like a great place to start doing comedy because there were so many clubs. And San Diego, as a city, in my opinion, was a very transplant, transient city. Like, people, there's there, there weren't a lot of people like you that are from there. Mm. A lot of people come there from other places. So, as a comic starting out, you build these chops of trying to entertain a wide spectrum of people. Sure. Right. But also you have this fear because <laughs> at, if you say the wrong things at a bar show or any show on stage, San Diego was also had the most UFC training people like folks in UFC per capita. Yeah. And it was home to the Navy and Marines. So you have agro military guys and agro dudes who want to make a living off of beating the shit out of people. So then you got, comedians trying to tell jokes and boy if you said the wrong shit there was gonna a flying fucking roundhouse kick just coming <laughs> out of the darkness to take you out man so that was yeah learning learning doing stand up there and then breaking out and going up to la like i wasn't afraid of anybody any crowd after that because i'm like you know I, I survived not getting beat up by people on yeah. stage what did, what made you go into comedy has it was it something that you always like dreamt of doing or did you kind of just fall into it I I was a writer. Well, I went to college to and, and majored in, in creative writing for television and film because I always wanted to I always wanted to write. That's mm-hmm. just been my thing, and I always wanted to be a TV writer and write sketch and all that. And 
I've always been a a comedy brained guy, so everything I wrote was always the, the intention to be funny. But when you write a script or anything like that that has pages and pages, then you're an asshole because you're pushing it on to friends to read and you're waiting for their feedback. I just got tired of waiting a long time for people to read my stuff and just say, oh, it's good. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what the fuck? And then while I was on deployment, uh, I started buying these bootleg comedy DVDs from the bazaars and stuff out there. And I would just watch them on repeat and just think to myself, you know what? I can get an instant response yeah. to see if something I'm writing is funny or not if I just start writing these jokes mm-hmm. and get on stage. So, like, I think, like, maybe three, four months until it was time for me to come back stateside, I had already kind of started scribbling out little things of what I thought were jokes. And then I got back home and got wild drunk and wandered into an open mic. <laughs> and I sat in the back for, like, three hours just watching people go up there and just just eat it. Just fucking terrible. And I'm like, man, if these motherfuckers are garbage and they seem to be okay with being garbage, I'm like, I have nothing to be afraid of. I'll be bad too. So yeah. fuck it. And then, you know, like a week or two later, I went back in, signed up on the list, waited several hours, and finally went up. But I was so drunk, like blackout, I don't really remember my first time. Uh, I had my roommates there and they told me it went well. Yeah. And that was kind of all the push I needed. I'm like, well, shit, I think I have something there. And then I proceeded to eat my own ass for like a whole year after that. <laughs> like everywhere. I was like, bombing. somebody's got to eat it. <laughs> bro, bro, I was, I had, I watched, I listened back to clips or I watched tapes of myself in like the first year or two. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the most cringeworthy shit I've, I've ever seen in my life. It's like watching a car accident over and over again. It was either me just being wild drunk on stage because I was too nervous or me just having just like really outdated Probably like cancel worthy mm. topics and saying shit. I, I was saying wild ass shit back in the day, and just like you know, what I mean, like because I've grown as a person and as a comic since those days. And so to watch that guy, this lost fucking dude, just trying to figure out if he can do this, yeah, it's ugh, it makes my stomach kind of hurt now. I feel it. I haven't even seen those things. You know, and, and it's no making one me, never will. To, yeah, <laughs> never will. My goal is to wait until my daughter gets ready to go to prom. And when that little dude shows up in the house and she's still getting ready, I'm gonna sit him down and make him watch. Ooh, that's watch. that's a move. You already yeah. got that planned out. Are you are you <laughs> one of those people that it's like, when I'm on stage, it feels like nothing else exists, like type of thing? Or yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. That is, dude, being on stage for me is just like, it sounds cheesy, but it's just like, oh, I think I was I'm supposed to be doing this, mm-hmm. even when I wasn't that good. And I'm not great by any means now, but I'm pretty confident in myself. And this is like my career now. But like, it just felt like I don't, I can't pinpoint when I had that realization, but it's just now every time I hit the stage and for the last couple of years, I'm just like, I don't want to be anywhere else but up here. Yeah. And I have aspirations of being a TV writer. I do that now mm-hmm. and I acting and all that other stuff. But all that is like work to me. Sure. I have to work hard at writing a script or memorizing lines and acting. And I do work hard at stand-up, too. But my process is one so much that I don't really sit down and write anything. We were talking about before we started the pod. A couple of years ago, I started writing on stage. You know, what they say is, like, you go up, you kind of have something you were thinking about kicking around in your head. And you just go up there and just kind of let it rip. Mm-hmm. You riff a little bit kind of gauge the audience to see if something works or don't because the audience will tell you if your shit is not working 
and I always have my phone on stage recording what I'm saying, and I'll go back and listen, and I just kind of piece together, like, okay, that got a laugh, that chunk got nothing, let me cut that, I'll build and expand on this, mm-hmm. and every time, excuse me, you hit the stage, you just kind of keep building off these little seeds yeah. of laughter until <clears throat> you kind of have something that works on a regular basis, and then I just insert it into the regular lineup of material I have. Yeah. And that's just kind of the way I've been. But while I'm up there, I'm not afraid of anybody. And I'm not thinking about how much time I have. I'm just like, I like being up here. Yeah. And I can tell you guys like that I'm up here. Even when I'm not doing well, that's still pretty funny because I will address it. You know what sure. I mean? I don't, I've never experienced anything else like that in my life where I'm just like, I'm supposed to be doing this shit mm-hmm. right here, man. Yeah, that's a huge, like sticking point to this podcast because it's called opening presence the creative self-realization podcast and that's a long name bro (laughs) 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 opening presence for short (laughs) but uh like hearing people's creative process or like when you're in a in a practice or if you're a designer or if you're an artist or a musician Mm -hmm. like that story of finding your thing Mm -hmm. is something that's so interesting to decode because like for most of my life i was always trying to like mold myself to fit what I thought other people wanted of me like I was talking about before like oh I wanted to be like a art director creative like yeah like me you almost high, worked on something like together high, where you were high, still in that high profile da, 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 and we still can uh, Port- <laughs> Port- Portland's best chicken spots like that video oh, I remember that, that shit yeah, 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 yeah. we can still like, do that yeah we can do that easy <laughs> we might have to like do just drive by like yeah. really but uh, like that process of like when you're saying like oh I'm, I feel like I belong up here mm-hmm. is something that I think everybody should exhaust every single effort to find that one thing because everybody has that thing like similar to this podcast when I'm having these conversations, I'm like, there's nowhere else I'd rather be than in this dope park mm-hmm. with my dog and Shane Brendan, my other dog, <laughs> with my two dogs. But it's just like the level of like ease and effortlessness, but it's still like I have this scale. It's like high ease, high value proposition. And it's like, mm. like what, what feels easy, but I'm also bringing as much value to other people as possible similar to like my meditations where i'm just like similar to your uh not writing things down and you're just like kind of free-flowing putting it together but it's like in my meditations like i don't write anything down i don't go into it with anything on my mind to talk about other than just being present and and guiding people in their own meditation but it's like oh I'm supposed to be talking about these things, this this creative process and the things I'm learning about. And it doesn't feel like a job. And what, at whatever point, becoming successful at at what I'm doing now mm-hmm. is like essentially what I'm doing. I'm doing it now. And, right. and it's it's it doesn't feel like work. And well, that's the goal, isn't it? To, you know, kind of happily stumble into something that becomes a job where the origins of it is just you just kind of naturally doing something that you feel like this is fun, this is easy, this is what I want to be doing, and now all of a sudden someone found a way to monetize it, not forcefully, not in that weird way where you focus so much on, uh, you know, what what kind of income you can bring from doing this. It just kind of organically happens, mm-hmm. you know. I, I like what you said. I, I was thinking about, you know, you, you do the meditation things now, like, five days a week. And I, on Instagram and all that, and I've been toying with the idea, like, it's always in the back of my mind, Shane, you should try to meditate or do something like that. I think, if I'm being honest with myself, 
the closest thing I've found to any kind of meditative state is when I'm on stage uh, trying to figure out a bit. Mm. Because that, in order to do that, I I have to really just kind of trust that my mind is going to take me somewhere. Mm-hmm. And I don't really try to control it. I just kind of open my my I open my creative comedy brain up for however long I'm on stage with the hopes that I'm going to come out on top with, you know, something that I can reproduce later on. But it's a total like free word association thing, not letting myself being confined to any kind of uh structure and acknowledging any kind of thought that passes in my head when it's passing. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yep. And yeah, and I think that's probably why you know you hear a lot of comedians you know or see a lot of comedians when they get off stage you, you'll pay attention to it now some of us seem wiped out and exhausted you know given the fact that you know there there could be some comics that are real like big act out characters and like they're moving and shaking you know chris walk rock he walks like 40 miles back and forth on stage and on there mm-hmm. no even the most like kind of calm cool collected just joke slingers that just stand there it's like it's exhausting you're playing a mental game when you're on stage telling your jokes because you're reading the room. You're aware of how people are responding or not responding. You're thinking about your set list, what's coming up next. If a joke doesn't hit, you have to appear to not be rattled, mm-hmm. no matter how you are. Uh, not being constricted to your set list so you can like do something called crowd work where you just kind of riff off what's happening. Yeah. Somebody drops a glass in the middle of my joke, and I'm like right before the punchline. I have a choice to make. Do I just power through it and hit him with the punch? Or did I notice that everyone in the crowd was immediately distracted by that drunk lady breaking her glass? I should mention something about it. Yeah. And being able to note on it, talk about it in the moment, be present in the room, and still be cognizant that, all right, they're expecting a punchline that got interrupted two minutes ago. How do I weasel my way back into the punch yeah. and make it seamless? It's it's mental calisthenics for sure yeah no i totally feel that like it is taxing just being just being present like with other people it it does like it does expend energy Mm because it's like i don't know what it is like i'm just coming into that space of of just being on but not having like a per se like a like a script that i'm following or anything but constantly bringing myself to the present moment there's no I can't just get up and like leave and do something else right now. So everything in me has to be present right now. And, and afterwards, you do feel like, oh, like I expended myself. Like I feel like kind of like that that good tired, like after like a good workout or something where you're like, I did something that was positive, that mm-hmm. was helping myself, helping other people. That good tired is something that I experience uh, after like a, a live session or something, right. or even like after a podcast where, where you're still kind of like buzzing because, because it's like, Oh, we've been talking for this long and how many different quadrants of, of our lives did we just weave together? Right. And it's, it's this dance that's, that's happening internally right now, but you feel it physically afterwards, oh, yeah, which, is, for sure. which is wild. I can't dude. the high that I get from being on stage, especially when it goes well, is it's 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 like a drug bro i mm-hmm. mean it's just like back in the days when i used to really just fuck around with a lot of a lot of shit like coke and shit like that like <laughs> in w- when you're at your highest high it's great and you'll ride that high for a long time but as soon as it's done i'm just jonesing for another fix mm-hmm. and like dude if i if i have a really good night 
on stage, I'm not sleeping. Yeah. The rest of that night. Yeah. I go home. If wifey is awake, how'd it go? Oh, it went well. She's like, all right, well, good night, babe. And I just go into my room, and I'll be on the computer or just kind of be playing video games until 4 or 5 in the morning. Sure. Because I can't you gotta shut tax it off. You got to get it all out. I got to get it all out, man. <laughs> I got to get it all out. And I'm too old now. Too old. <laughs> I'm just You're in your 30s. I, I fit, bro. My body. I, I mean, I can't party like I used to. Sure. But, like, do you want to? Are you missing out on anything? Uh, no. That <laughs> FOMO is also leaving me. Yeah. I don't feel like. Because I used to really want to hang afterwards, you know, with a bunch of comics. And I still do to a certain extent. But especially when I was down in L.A., Dude, we would fucking do a show, and then, you know, we'd be out until, like, 5, 6 in the morning. Mm-hmm. Just up to no good, hitting yeah. the streets, got shit to do with comedy, and then driving my ass all the way back to Pasadena from, like, West Hollywood at 7 in the morning when everybody else is going the opposite way to go to work. Feeling good, though. I'm just like, this is the life. <laughs> and that was, like, years ago. Now I'm just like, oh, show's over at midnight. I grab a beer. I'm at home, yeah. chilling, smoking a bowl by 1.30, playing 2K. Yeah. I was just, you know, watching old Samurai Jack, like, episodes or something yeah. like that, man. That's my chill. That's my hang now. It's just me and my dogs, quiet, hanging out. Yeah, that I love that. Oh. I'm just like, I'm a leisurely creature. But speaking about 2K, Ugh. speaking about 2K. Oh, you hear that? You see that, oh, that yeah. seamless, that oh, seamless yeah. promo? <laughs> no, you brought it up. Okay. We have a superstar. If you guys didn't know already, we are in rarefied air right now because yesterday uh, a very, very big drop happened. Mm-hmm. Um, NBA 2K21. Yes, sir. That commercial came out. The promo came out. I, and I was your just boy, as surprised as you. Biracial Angel, I was there, out man. here was in there. these streets on the most like impressive commercial I've seen in a long time. <laughs> they, like super dynamic they, commercial. It was do you want to? Well yeah. Commercial. Do you want to uh, go in on on that? Uh, yeah, man. I mean, I uh, fortunate enough to uh, I I was in, I'm in the commercial for the new. NBA 2K21 promo. No big deal. No, it is, no <laughs> big deal. Bro, here's the thing. I was geeked up about it maybe like uh, when we first shot it, which was not that long ago. That's why I was surprised when it dropped because mm. I woke up at the crack of noon like I normally do. <laughs> and my phone was just it was just blown up with uh, just people texting me and my IG page and Twitter and just all this wild missed phone calls. I was like, what happened? I didn't do nothing. And then, <laughs> I ain't shit. Yeah, and then, I, and then people were sending me the link to the commercial. I was like, oh man, that 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 was a quick turnaround because we, you know, typically you you film something and it takes sometimes months for it to come out. We shot this um, maybe two, three weeks ago uh, fa- during you know phase one opening and stuff. And first of all, shooting it was wild because. There was, you know, we're in the middle of a pandemic and, you know, people are, you know, social distance and all that. And there's so many players that go into filming something. You got the production assistants, directors, stagehands, wardrobe, makeup, lighting and all that stuff. And I'm like, how are they going to pull? I was talking to my agent because I auditioned for the part via Zoom and I didn't think nothing about it because that's the only way to save any kind of your mental health by auditioning and just letting it go. Yeah. And be pleasantly surprised when you get it. But I auditioned for the part. I played like a sports anchor, um, like an ESPN guy. And I'm ba- the breaking news is that Damian Lillard 
is going to be the new NBA player on the cover of 2K21. And the whole concept of the video or the commercial is that Dame has taken over your airwaves. So every channel you change, uh, he's on there in some way, shape, or form, you know, taking over that specific channel. And my my dumb face kicks off the commercial, and then I pop up in there again. But it was dope because, you know, I mean, Dame was there. And you want to talk about them handling him with white gloves, he might as well rolled in there in, like, a bubble. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And, like, people were wearing the mask and visors, like, wore the hair and makeup. People were, like, full-on hazmat suits. I walked up there. They hit me with the, what do you call it? The temperature. The temperature thing. gun right yeah. in the dome. Because if my temperature was up, then they had somebody on deck as really? a backup. Yeah. My agent was, was like, are you sick? I was like, nah, I ain't sick. He's like, well, don't be sick by Monday. He was telling me on a Friday because we're shooting this. Yeah. I was like, oh, word, okay. And it was it was wild because when I got there, you know, I took my temperature and all that, and they just had plastic, like, uh, just things, like, sectioning off different parts of the sets. And there's, like, people in, like, s- like white uh, lab coats. Yeah, like, breaking bad Yeah, suits. taking me all over. I was like, we about to cook up meth? I didn't bring my suit. And then <laughs> I go in the wardrobe, and then there's these two very nice, lovely ladies that were going to, do all my fittings and stuff, bro. Everything I tried on, uh, if it wasn't gonna be something I was gonna wear for the shoot, they put them in these bags and they're like, <laughs> they have burn to burn them. Yeah, I was like, they, I was like, I, I would put the stuff on. I could just take it back to the crib. They're yeah. like, no. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, we get there and it was surreal. They built a whole like four or five different sets, and I thought Dane was gonna show up later because he's like the main person and I'm just the other talent. But no, nah, I was there. I was doing all my stuff, and then him and his whole camp showed up, and I was just like, I wonder if this dude remembers me, because I for years, for the, like two, two or three seasons, I was talking about him on NBC Sports mm-hmm. before and after every game. Blazers Outsiders. Yeah, R.I.P. Uh, but <laughs> but I didn't I didn't want to be that dude like, hey Dane, you remember me? I was on the show. I talked. So I just tried to play that shit cool, but inside I'm just like, I hope you remember me. I want to look cool as hell in front of these yeah, production Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get the dap or, or he, air dap. Yeah, air dap. <laughs> but he ended up, he's like, oh, what's up, man? I was like, what's up, dude? How you doing? Yeah. He's like, oh, yeah. Shooting the shit. And we were on set and everything was smooth. I mean, the crazy thing about it was I used to, that was the job. Like, the acting role was me just being a sports analyst. And for a little backstory, I quit the Blazers Outsiders before the start of this past season. Mm-hmm. Cause they they were fucking with the bag. They weren't coming right with the money, uh, and they ch- they kept trying to put restrictions on me as a comic and everything yeah. I do outside of the show. So I was like, yeah, y'all can keep that shit. So it's like I walked away from that, and then just, this brought me back in. Yeah, portraying the job of what I used to have. It's yeah, just wild shit. Reaching more people too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I didn't, like I didn't expect it, man. Um, but the crazy thing, I've been playing two K. Since high school. Mm-hmm. And, like, I've been playing 2K since high school. I've been a Blazer fan for my basically my whole life because my dad was a Blazer fan. So, to be in this situation where the world is falling apart, there's all kinds of things going on, and then we have this pandemic, and I, I haven't been working, really, because of the, just the nature of everything. So, the first big job I get coming out of it is – my world's colliding where it's like my former job, my love of this basketball video game, and then one of my favorite players, and I'm right there. Yeah. 
I was like, well, this is stupid, Yeah, man. tell me there isn't a God this after that. Stupid, like, that's bro. just fucking ridiculous. All of the, like, life experiences leading up to that, and mm-hmm. then, it's, like, the world's at a pause, and then it's your mug that's just flooding every it's single right airwaves. It's like, all ages, too. <laughs> like, all demos. Like, fucking young kids. Yeah. Like, 10-year-olds play, 6-year-olds play 2K. Yeah. 60-year-olds play 2K. Oh, yeah. Like, the whole like cultural relevance yeah. it's like right in the middle of it and you're just like what's up i didn't think it was i'm just eating wings yeah i didn't bro it's you know I'm, my wife is always giving me shit she's like why don't you she's like your level of excitement isn't uh you're not you know how come you're not that excited about this like you should mm. be geeked up i was like i am geeked up <laughs> i was like first of all i'll be super geeked when they finally cut me that check because that job was like, whew, you want to talk about bag secured. The bag has been secured. But it, the, the, that's always the last thing that happens when you do any kind of acting work. It takes forever to get paid. Sure. But also, I was excited while I was shooting it, and that was several weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And now it, it came back out. And all day yesterday, because uh, they were recording this right after the, the day after it dropped, bro, I was just dealing with people I haven't talked to in a long ass time. They coming out? They coming out? Bro, all my <laughs> country ass fucking cousins and friends from way back in Shelby <laughs> County. Bro, it's like it was always the same kind of message or email or voicemail like uh, hey cuz I see you out there doing your thing, man. You Hollywood now. You know what I'm talking about? Don't forget about all the young people, little people out here, man. You sorry as hell on 2K anyway. I don't know why they put your sorry ass in the front. <laughs> anyway, I love you cuz oh, hey, let me, let me hold some, man. I know you, I know you got some money now. I was like, hold something. I was like, nigga, this is a commercial. <laughs> what are you talking about right now, man? And like, bro, uh, my old undergrad, one of my undergrad professors reached out to me. Mm-hmm. And he's like one of those cats, like 60-year-olds that play. Cool-ass black dude. He reached out to me. He's like, hey, young fella, I saw you on a, saw you on a commercial for 2K out there, man. You doing your <laughs> thing out there. You know, I always knew you was going to be. I'm, I'm getting hit with the I always knew you was going to be something. And in the back of my mind, like, I ain't shit yet. What y'all talking about? And then, you know, my wife had to rhyme. She's like, you have to understand, babe, like, you've been in this industry for a while, and you still say you ain't shit, and you're grinding it out, which I am. I'm working towards being someone that is shit. But right now, I ain't shit. She's mm. just like, you have to understand, everybody's not in the know or knows anyone. Like, you're a big deal to some of your buddies you went to high school with that never left Shelby County. Mm. That's like night managers at Sonics now or some shit like that. And they're just like, they get geeked up. When they see somebody they know that's doing some shit like that. But I just didn't think that they would do all that shit to where, I mean, niggas is really hitting me up on some, like, let me hold something type yeah. shit. I was like, bro, what do you know? Hold something. I was like, any money I get, this woman sitting next to me just takes it away from me anyway <laughs> and just leaves me enough to buy some shoes or something <laughs> like that. Like, But it's the thing that, that bums me out the most is, you know, my dad passed away which is the reason why I moved up here in 2017. Mm. Uh, he, and he's the reason why I was a Blazer fan and an NBA sports fan, just period. And so I got, once I got the gig with NBC sports, uh, I was, I was excited about it. Well, I got the word that there might be a show and I might be doing it. And I think one of the last phone conversations we had was like, I was like, pops, this opportunity came and these folks want to pay me to talk about the Blazers on TV. And he's like, that's all right then. Go ahead. Yeah, do your thing. Blah, blah, blah. But then he passed before the first show happened. Wow. 
And then all this dope shit just started happening soon after he passed. And I'm not a religious dude. He was a very religious man. Bible thumping, you know, missionary Baptist, all that stuff. But I couldn't help but shake the the, the notion that, you know, the old man is still trying to pull strings mm-hmm. like immediately, bro, yes. because he died. And then, you know, opportunities started happening mm-hmm. and, and I was starting to get things, you know, in my career. And it was, I used to bum myself out because immediately instead of just being happy and thankful for these opportunities, I would get really depressed because I'm just like, I've been busting my ass and doing all this. And I know the old man would want to see this. Mm. I want to do all this shit for the, for the homie. A, to prove to him, like, I didn't make a dumb decision by getting out of the military and being a professional asshole on stage. And B, to be like, look what your boy is doing. Look what your oldest son is doing right now. Who would have mm-hmm. fucking thought that your little country bumpkin ass son would move all the way across the country and have a career talking about basketball, the shit we used to do for free. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. I have a like an idea about that because I feel like I'm experiencing that, like not to that like extent, but like coming into myself. And it's like, like I said, my mother passed. It's like our parents that have passed, like they know what's going on because they're experiencing it through us right now. So everything, mm. all of your experiences, because you are. Right. Your father, essentially, yeah. like yeah. a part, like a huge part of you is your father. So like everything that's new coming into your experience, they're experiencing it at the same time. Mm. And that's kind of the way that I've come to understand that it's like my mom knows exactly what's happening right now. Like as yeah. I'm making new connections and expanding and new people are coming into my life that that are along like my life path that I sought out for myself moving from San Diego. I was like, I'm not around like the type of people that I want to be around. Mm-hmm. And then coming around here and then running into people like you and like Adam Garcia. Yeah, like, shout we out were, to the homie. Yeah, yeah. yeah, shout out to Adam. But like those are like the type these are the types of people that I wanted to be around and, and to learn from and hear their stories and having new experiences, co- really connected experiences and conversations. And I'm like oh, this is exactly what I left there for. Mm-hmm. But just because I can't say like, hey, mom, like, look, guess what happened today? Like, I like I, I shot a commercial or I shot a, uh, I had a damn experience too with a complex. Oh, that, know, yeah, 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 yeah. But like that, those are the types of experiences that I was like manifesting and wanting to bring into my life. And the fact that I, that I couldn't like verbatim say like, mom, guess what, what happened? Yeah. It's like, no, in that moment, being present in that moment, she's experiencing it with me at the same time in embodying that knowing of like our parents know exactly what the hell's going on so we we show up for them yeah. and ex- and their their ex- like their genius is is being expressed through us like we're sharing our gift to the people around us through them or them through us that's a very beautiful and probably healthier way of thinking about things. <laughs> I mean, I mean, if if I'm gonna if I'm gonna convince myself of something, it's gonna be the best thing. Yeah, that's yeah. I I like to th- I I like to think that way as well. You know, the whole the whole adage of somebody watching over you kind of thing and experiencing it. I I sure hope so, man. You know, because I don't know. I you know I'm I'm the oldest of two boys. So I already have that complex about myself, like, you know, I need to make the family proud and I need to make the old man proud because my old man, he was a tough cookie to crack as far as like, you know, saying I'm proud of you type shit. Oh, yeah. I love I, you. I never got my, my dad was in the service as yeah. well and just nothing. Absolutely nothing. It's just like, well, why would I say I'm proud of you or good job? You're supposed to do a good job. You're supposed to do even when I 
followed in the family footsteps and went into the service and all that. And anytime I would get any kind of awards or accolades, he'd be like, well, yep, that's what you're supposed to do. Good on you. Mm-hmm. Do that. Mm-hmm. He softened up towards the end there when he got a little older and stuff. But, man, I just I just have all these thoughts and these, these moments in my life where I'm just like, damn it, I want the old man here. Sure. Because he would be geeked up about all this shit. That's my boy. Yeah, my he's boy. that type of dude. I mean, yeah. towards the end, like I said, he was getting to the, especially when he became a grandfather and stuff, grandkids, will, they'll turn. Oh, yeah. It's like, why didn't you act like that to me? Getting yeah. all jealous from Hell your kids. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, taking my, I'm like, don't be playing with her. Why don't you play with me right now? Yeah. <laughs> you know? But he would get to the point where, like, especially when things were going well in my, you know, career early on, he was the type of dude, you go to his job at his cubicle, and he would have printouts of whatever article was writing about me. Or he used to do this whack thing. And I told him, I was like, you, there's a better way to do this. He would go on YouTube or see a clip of me, and he would screen cap the screen with the comments and the video and all that stuff <laughs> and print that out and oh. just pin it up on his <laughs> thing. So he had like a dozen like just screenshots of a YouTube clip. Of like comments just below a it. a blurry thing. Like, this dude sucks. Or what is, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. XX Starfish Baby uh, like, <laughs> comments on it. <laughs> But yeah, man, you know, so I just gotta, I just keep going, and what you just said too, I think, I think that's that'll be a thing that kind of maybe gets me out of my own head a little bit and stop thinking so negatively that you know, we are an extension of our folks, yeah, and they can feel it. I mean, I am my father's son to the T. I mean, you look at a picture of me and the old man, and it's just like these are the exact same people. Mm-hmm. And as I've gotten older, I've started, I, I, I catch myself saying things to no one in particular immediately followed by me realizing and thinking like damn this is the same shit my old man used to say yeah i was like i'm becoming this dude <laughs> gracefully though i'm leaning into it now i'm i'm fine with being that guy now you sure know? yeah i'm moving like i'm realizing my father's limitations and mm. those are the lessons that i have to transcend as for far instance. as for instance like speaking yeah <laughs> yeah he doesn't talk like he just keeps everything inside mm-hmm. and and like expressing emotions and just just allowing myself to unfold like a flower like i he has things that are trapped inside that he's just afraid to share mm. and my my like my programming is to keep everything in and and not share you and have to fight and against that exactly so like things like this i have to i knowingly have to step into those things those places that make me feel more vulnerable in order to transcend and to grow into the highest expression of myself and not become limited and be a 70 year old man that that doesn't know how to connect with his sons right like it's like he's getting older and it's like me and my brother are like out here two really dope men that don't have a relationship with our father because he will not like allow himself to to connect right and it's it's and it's something that we can't force it's just like you know what like i believe that you have the capability of of owning up to the fact that you didn't really establish a relationship with us mm-hmm. but like there's still time and, right. and it's like do you want to look yourself in the mirror and just be like you know what I could have done it better, but with this limited time that I have, like I'm going to make things right, or at least I'm going to make an attempt to grow because everyone, everyone has the capacity or the ability to transcend their, their own traumas and the things that they were taught. But it's, it's our decision whether or not we want to step into those things before we die. Right. hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. 
And that's a tough decision to make. It is. Even when you have that kind of realization. Yeah. Well, it's like the pride element of it Oof. is just like, oh, I'm not going to do it. I'm just like, all right, well, you're just not going to experience that higher level of, of living is connectedness with, with your family, with your kids, with, with the people around you. And if you're just going to keep putting on like this facade of what you want other people, right. mainly like white people in Carlsbad, it's right. like he cares about their impression their of him of, yeah. more than his own son's perception. And that's, Ugh. that's just like a prison and I have compassion and I'm like, Oh damn, that fucking sucks. Right. Like, like right. I, I hope you can get past that. Yeah. Well that yeah. I mean, that's dope to to see it from that angle too and see like you know he's you having compassion for that you know i mean because you don't no one wants i've over the course of my life i've caught myself uh almost kind of being in that kind of headspace like your old man is in where i'm so caught up in how other people perceive me and i'm just completely ignoring the ones closest to me where i should be making more of those genuine connections and building some sort of foundation for a relationship it's usually a woman that snaps me out of it (laughs) uh being my mom or uh, my very nosy and intrusive cousins from back <laughs> in the South. Like, nigga, you need to get your shit together. I'm like, you're right. I'm sorry. <laughs> or now my daughter. Now I have a little nine-year-old that's real quick to tell me to check myself. Yeah. Or like, what What the hell are you talking about, Dad? I'm like, first of all, you're not supposed to talk to me that way. Second <laughs> of all, you're right. I'm sorry. I need to stop. I do that, bro, I do that now in a little way with, you know, me and my wife, we, we bought a house uh, a couple years ago. Well, we shortly after we moved up here in St. John's. Uh-huh. And we are one, together, me and her make up one black person, right? Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. We're very proud of that. Uh, But we're one of two uh, black families that live on the street, and we are the only black family that owns a house Mm. uh, within, like, I don't know, two or three blocks of that place, which is really weird to find out from the realtor. I don't know why. He felt the need to yeah, tell me that. Yeah, by the way. Yeah. But I, my wife has always given me shit about this, and this is something I've carried over since I was a young man. Like, towards uh, high school-ish, like, my dad uh, really made a lot of rank, and my mom, my stepmom at the time, was a high-level executive uh, for a company in Memphis, so basically, like, moved on up kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And moved to an area where it was basically pretty well-to-do white folks, which was kind of a culture shock for me because I spent most of my life living, you know, before my dad met my stepmom, and he was deployed a lot. We would just stay with my family, and they lived in North Memphis, which was made famous by a lot of Three Six Mafia songs. And anytime you hear a neighborhood shouted out in a yeah, song, yeah, hope, yeah, probably not the best place to be, especially if you're a very confused-looking half Filipino, half black dude. Niggas wouldn't even give me problems because they just didn't understand what they're like. Leave that little Mexican boy alone. <laughs> like, okay. Um, so we went from just living in the in the in the hood with you know my family and stuff to when my dad was permanently going to be on shore duty and like not deployed anymore. He was home, and we moved up into you know uh, just around white people, and that was the first time I really lived around bougie white people. And my dad's thing, he was always hard pressed on appearances yep. around that point because he was just like. These white people, especially in Shelby County, Tennessee, are going to be looking at us crazy, wondering how they're able to afford living in this neighborhood, uh, what, uh, why this uppity-ass black family feels like they sh- deserve to be in this neighborhood. So, like, our front yard was always pristine, like, landscape, 
didn't hire nobody else. Every weekend it'd be me, my dad, my brother out there, uh, you know, cutting the grass, trimming the hedges and all that stuff, washing the cars, all that. So like it was instilled in me to always make sure that when I'm around a bunch of white people, uh, I don't know, it's always me projecting. Like, I think they're judging me because mm. I feel like they feel like I shouldn't be here, if that makes any sense. No, it makes complete sense. Right, right. Born and raised in San Diego. Oh, yeah. yeah, that's like in my DNA. <laughs> yeah. So now you fast forward and, you know, I live up here in St. John's and I bought this house and I get this news that, like, we're one of only two black families that – own property in this area and i live i live in a neighborhood that don't feel like a neighborhood i just live on the street because i don't know any of my neighbors i get weird side eyes from a lot of them that's just portland in general know, though like yeah. how many awkward like in the supermarket like you you walk up to somebody and then it's like go which way and then you're just like at this standstill right. of like how right. can we get past each other like why why do we have all these awkward moments but that do that awkward aisle shit every day yeah. you come out of your house man Dog. I, I grew up you know i got that southern hospitality thing with me where if i see you and your neighbor i'm gonna give you a what's up yeah I'm a wave all that but they're always awkward though i try bro, it's always awkward for a first the first year we lived there i gave it an honest attempt to be like i'm gonna be the the friendly guy in the neighborhood hey how you doing what's going on I never, I always got like either just weird, tepid responses or people would just like look at me and then look away. I'm thinking to myself, motherfucker, you live across the street from me. You're going to make a conscious decision right now that you want nothing to do with me or my family here. So it's just like, my wife is always like, you're, you're going, you're going to drive yourself insane worrying about what the neighbors think. I mean, because I'm always like, the yard looks nice. Uh, I pride myself on we got the best looking house on the street. Didn't buy it that way, but it was a fixer upper. And I'm just, I keep telling her, I'm like, I I feel like most of our neighbors uh, resent the fact that we live here, mm. just based off their looks. Wow. Uh, just based off uh, just the vibe I get from them. Um, and so, in my mind, how I rationalize that is it's like. I'm going to show you motherfuckers. Like, if you don't, I've tried to make an attempt to get to know you guys. Hey, what do you do? Where are you from? All that. Nothing, right? So I'm, I want them to be curious as to why this young-ish couple, this young family moved in here, how they were able to afford a house in this neighborhood, and why is their place doper than ours, just from the outskirts. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, what is it about those? I don't look like a dope boy. I don't look like it. Like, if any, and then I want them to wonder, well, I see the wife get up and go to work every morning, but that one <laughs> dude seems to just kind of mosey on out of the house for two. Uh, just kind of stands in the yard looking around, <laughs> and then he, we see him go out every night. Because I know I, I, I'm checking for them, checking for me. Yeah. I already know they do. And these are people who got Black Lives Matter signs. Oh, yeah, my next-door neighbor. My yeah. next-door neighbor has one of those. It's like you got a Black Lives Matter sign. Damn, somebody just fell out of the tree? <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. Perks of that little doing kid. a podcast in the park. Uh, he was climbing on the tree and a branch broke, and he fell. Is he still on the ground? He's getting up now. <laughs> Attaboy. boy. Good on you. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, my neighbors, my neighbors, they got Black Lives Matter signs uh, all in their yards, especially now with everything that's going on. I was like, man, if you don't take that sign down, I was like, you motherfuckers don't even talk to me and my wife. Or you're not really about it though. Nah. Like even like in the in like the streets, like when the protests and everything, it's just like a. It's just like a participa- participation award. Oh, it's yeah. just like it's like oh, it's for my 
like I'm a part of this movement so and blah 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 and yeah exactly and have a receipt exactly when your other white friends come over and they're like oh what's that picture of oh that was when me and uh me and Karen were at the march yeah. we laid down on the bridge just like everyone else yeah and there you go we're good for now yeah bro I didn't believe any of that performative wokeness that performative protest and shit but man. that's Portland in general I like know. Perf- Portland is so performative it's a city based on performative Dog, shit it's so fucking fake it's so fucking fake and I'm fake. from LA and this shit is fake yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, but it's just like it's like we're just surrounded by people that's like even like walking through the park it's like walking my dog through the park and then it's just like I see like like a white family or just somebody and it's just like always like this general sense of awkwardness like nobody's just laid back and just genuine like hey what's going on hey what's going on like only like the cool like like white dudes that play basketball and shit (laughs) like like the only ones that are just like what's going on like oh hey what's going on human human cool but then it's just like the like the pasty lizard whites in Portland is just all this built-in apprehensiveness that mm-hmm. it's our job to quell your fucking doubts yes. every single time. It's like you're throwing this awkwardness in my court. Like I'm a fucking cool, approachable person, yet as I see you approach me, like there's just like this fidgety. I can fidgety see your butthole tightening. Yeah, it's just. <laughs> I can I can hear it. Yeah, I can hear it tightening. You and your whole family. That does something to me. I don't know if it does something to you where. That's the craziest thing about living up here. I like, I like Portland. I don't love Portland. I I like that I live up here because this is where my wife was was from. She's got her family here. She's got some friends. I like that part. I like that she's happy. You know, I met people like you, and I got you know the comedy scene, and you know the city's treating me well. But outside of that, bro, I'm from the south. I came up with real racism, mm-hmm. and. I've never thought about race so much until I moved here. Yeah. I never became so aware of, I don't know, my interactions with with white people until I moved up here, which is crazy because I was one of the people that believed that Portland was an episode of Portlandia. I believed the billboard that this is a progressive city, and the city might be progressive. progressive on paper. On paper, but now that I've lived here for a while, I'm just like, yo – most of the people here are bullshit. Yeah, they they just won't do the work. Like they don't they, want like to. Like they'll just they'll stand to the edge of the pool, but they won't jump in. Not if there are black people in there. Yeah, exactly. Not if there are black yeah, people in there. It's just like oh, like just stay at a distance. They'll stand at the like, edge we'll, and they'll hold their Black yeah, Lives Matter sign. They'll hold the sign, stay at a distance, don't get close to me. But that's what turns me into like an angry black man. What's what's on Rocco's? Oh yeah, Rocco's rolling just, around over there. Yeah, he's being a pretty pretty boy. I can't. I don't know. I, I've had I've had moments in the years that I've lived up here where I just I just get so mad and I can't really pinpoint what it is and I try to express that, you know, to my wife or even some of my close friends. And the problem with that is some of my closest friends are comedians and because we live in a city that's ninety seven percent white, the comedy scene reflects that. So most of my close friends in comedy here are white people. Mm-hmm. White dudes. But they're like the cool basketball playing ones, yeah, like you said. So yeah. I can have that conversation with them. But I, every night, I still feel like I'm like I don't want to talk to a white person right now about what it is that I'm struggling with. I need to talk to another person of color, or specifically, I need to talk to another black man, black woman, to to see, you know, am I going crazy? No. Am I am I not? <laughs> am, am I making am I making it harder than it needs to be for myself by thinking these ways? 
Mm-hmm. And that's something that's every day. Every day I have to think about that. Yeah. But yeah. me being on the entertainment side of things, I still have to show up and do a job where I might not feel like I want to entertain, specifically in our case since we're here in Portland. Anytime I hit the stage, I'm entertaining mostly white people. Mm-hmm. And I'm always aware of like my subject matter, how I'm coming across, my stage presence. Sometimes I don't want to be doing that, but it's my job, you know, and it's just maddening sometimes. Yeah. And, and, you know, especially walking away from the show, the sports show, you want to talk about people trying to isolate one thing they like about you and they approve about you. And they're like, this is all we want from you when you hear the clock in. Be the one face of, be the one black person on this show, but we need you to be this kind of black guy. We need you to be palatable. We need you to be friendly, and we need you to just talk sports. Yep, that's the the frustrating part. Is like it's like how dynamic we are as black men, black people. It's like like only being received in this lane, mm-hmm. and it's just like no, like this is like this is way bigger than just that. And mm-hmm. a lot of the times, it's like tied to like monet like monetary value too. It's like no, I can get bread all over the place, and right. and your unwillingness to accept me for me is affecting my whole life. Yes. Out, like just being just being loved and in in my message and my essence being spread around and accepted because it's like I know I'm worthy and but like but it's not a clear reflection of everything that I have based off of your limited ability to perceive or accept me. Right. And it's like I know I'm worthy of it, but it's just like you got to get past your bullshit as an audience, as a white audience. To, to allow me to really land all the different uh, touch points of, of comedy and, and creativity, creativity, writing. Whole, yeah, yeah. In, in, in I need somebody to, to do the dance with. I need somebody to receive it. And it's like, I'm not speaking a different language. It's no. like, it's like it's, it's funny is funny. Right. Like, quality is quality. But your preconceived notion of me won't allow you to, to receive this this comedy or this love or this this passion that i have just the art exactly yeah right. and it's like you're not receiving this 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 exchange and that's the frustrating part because it's like i know it hits i don't need i don't need to question myself anymore because i've already done that growing right. up growing mm-hmm. up i've already questioned myself and doubted myself and then once i found myself it's like oh but you just you're just just dedicated to not understanding in general right like you're already like you, your mind's already made up so it was it was never me it was it was yes i had to believe in myself but then now it's like like you need to be accountable on the other end as a as a recipient of this culture of this art and mm-hmm. respect it exactly mm. damn you're like a filter for everything that I say. You just say a doper, <laughs> and, like, and like, I got and I got dreads and too. You got dreads. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. If, if, if yeah, anything I want to say, if I want to make it sound like I'm more enlightened, I'd be like, Aaron, just kind of translate. Shit, if, I, if hey, if you could put me in the rooms that you're in, I will. You'll I will, close some deals will, for me. I will hide. I will. I will willingly. Be your shadow. I'll be your mouthpiece. He'd be like it's like that Key and Pill sketch you, when they. What were... he meant to say was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, it's. But this is this is the career. This is the life we've chosen. Uh, mm. For both of us, trying to find a lane, like you said, where it's just like I feel like this is, there's something I could share with the world that I could benefit from, you know, on many different levels, spiritually, emotionally, and financially. Yeah. 
so why not take a shot? I mean, the the big risk is it's a big swing and a miss if you miss. And who knows how long you've dedicated time into that. Like, are you willing to deal with the reality that you took a chance on yourself, it didn't work, now, now what's your contingency plan? Sure. What's your backup? Because I am scared as hell mm. about what happens if, like, comedy's dead for 2020. Uh, you know, and I've been having a lot of thoughts, like, like, is this, when I've been sitting at home, like, damn, this was, this is what my, must life feel like if I wasn't a comedian mm. or an actor or a writer? I'm just a guy sitting at home, like, is this what my life would be like? Like, I insert job I hate here. Like, it, that'd be the worst thing for me personally. It'd be a small death to have to go and work for someone again and just have a regular nah, job. It's not happening. I can't do that, Period. man. I cannot do that. Yeah. I will be a struggling comedian and a writer and an actor for the remainder of my days before I go sit back in someone's cubicle. Yeah, sitting next to Karen. Oh, God. And I know she don't want me sitting there. And I know she's probably getting upset with the music that she can hear is coming out of my iPod, you know, <laughs> my, my AirPods <laughs> and stuff. Yeah. But, yeah, that's... Yeah, I'm at that place now where it's like, oh, like, you have, like, I'm not giving up any... Like, I finally got to that point. I'm 31 now and finally, like... uh grasping like the potential that i have and like the direction and like i can envision what it looks like and and some things are happening here and there but more so just the people that i'm interacting with and i know i'm providing value i'm just like i'm staying in this lane like fuck everything else i don't Mm -hmm. care Mm -hmm. i don't care like i'm not gonna be fucking being in a cubicle like i'm wearing these clothes Wherever yeah. I go, yeah. like, I'm not suiting up. I'm not playing the LinkedIn profile thing. I'm pushing yeah. my <laughs> message forward. Like I just post meditation stuff on LinkedIn. I'm like, hey, come on down. If you're a recruiter at a at a creative agency, like I'll like I'll take opportunities. Like if you want to like pay me to do what I do yeah. best, right? Like that's the only way from here on out. And that's that's the place that it's kind of like eluded me. Like throughout like my journey as a young man trying to find myself, trying to find career oftentimes validation in the wrong places mm-hmm. um but like finally like validating myself and and receiving feedback from other people and i'm like oh i'm providing a great great value to people mm-hmm. and i'm i'm helping people find their creative voice and and uh connecting with people like you and i'm just like oh this is it like this is my fucking wheelhouse right now yeah. like i don't yeah. i'm not moving out of here i don't <laughs> care if i get get paid whatever yeah like it's coming but mm-hmm. I'm I won't I'm not gonna compromise uh, the the gifts that I've found within myself and that I get to share with people. Right, yeah. and I think that's a better way of life. Yeah, you know, it's just I mean, there's so many there's so many ways that you know somebody can really just find find an avenue to be true to themselves and still live a life worth living. You know, whatever your measure of success is, I mean, you could find it. You might have to adjust that. You know measure of success yeah uh i certainly have over the years like what you know what are the milestones i'll have to hit in order for me to truly feel like i'm making progress or i think i can consider myself successful i mean that that meter has come way down it used to be (laughs) like when you first start out it was like i'm gonna be on you know comedy central netflix and i mean all that stuff could still probably happen but it's just like i'm immediately thinking like i'm gonna be kevin hart i'm gonna be dave Chappelle. Mm-hmm. And then after a couple of years, like, all right, well, I can, I mean, I can like maybe hang out with them, 
right? And then it's just like, oh, maybe I'll just go see a show there. And then maybe <laughs> it's just like, all right, well, maybe I'll just be a funny dude named Shane and that just kind of travels around and does his thing. I don't know, man. Yeah. Especially watching someone like Dave. It's it's inspiring, but it's the most uh, heartbreaking thing ever for me because he is working at a master practitioner level mm-hmm. in our craft of comedy. And to see someone working at that level, that's when the heartbreak comes in because you're just like, I will never – this is this guy, is a, he's a genius. Yeah. He's a savant. I'm just someone who – I'll work hard. I'll be good at my craft. I'll dedicate my life to it. But there's something about Dave Chappelle. It's like, boy, that was something – he was born with the gift of gab. And I watch that stuff, and it inspires me to work and keep going. But then it also bums me out because I'm just like, man – Take a shot at the throne. I'll never get that seat. Sure. But, but it's like creating your own throne because it's like everybody has their own genius. I know yes. I'm like pushing out like, oh, he's talking about rainbows and yeah. <laughs> and shit all the time. But it's like tapping into your own genius and like expressing your genius to the highest extent. And only you know what that what that looks like and what that feels like inside. And when mm-hmm. you're tapping into that, that's always available. <sighs> One day. I don't, <laughs> I don't know, man. Like, where do you want to end up? We talked about it a little bit before we started recording. Like, what where do you see your, your best-case scenario in, like, you know, five, ten years with what, what you want out of life? Five, ten years? I, I just want freedom. That's yeah? Like, freedom and happiness. To move in like, and out, weave, to do whatever you want. Yeah, do exactly what I want. Like, travel the world and just shack up in Greece for six months You're if I want to. you Mexico and doing ayahuasca. I that's pretty free. <laughs> Shit. It is, but it's like <laughs> I, I need like a little bit more financial freedom. Oh yeah, like, that was kind of like a trade, like shoot photos for it and like yeah, yeah, try to like a bartering system type of thing. But like having like the financial freedom to be in Thailand, and I keep, I always say like I'm I'm speaking it into existence, mm-hmm. like being in Barcelona and then seeing like on Instagram, it's like oh I follow this like really cool street photographer in Barcelona, and then go out there, stay out there for a few months and then record a few podcasts with people that live there and then do like FaceTime meditation sessions as a consultant from people all over the world yeah. and then go down to like Peru and Damn. just hop all over the place and, and but still like have property somewhere mm-hmm. and just have a place to call home to be like my place where I reset and, and have like an art studio and and be able to to engage in all of my creative expressions and allow myself the space to expand and grow and learn new things and and but finding like these uh, these uh tools like the podcast and and constantly articulating my awareness expanding Mm -hmm. and like these new things i'm learning because i have to put it on wax Mm -hmm. just to kind of ground it in my own experience but just a place where i can always keep growing and asking questions and connecting and and allowing, like I said, allowing myself to unfold in front of me. It's like I'm not the same person I was two years ago. Right. And and now that it's become clear that I really, really desire freedom and deep connection with people, mm-hmm. like finding those deep heart, soul connections with people that allow that help me grow and see the things that are in my blind spots. It's like, OK, that's just a never ending process. How right. do I create a life with all these things uh, being a part of it? And since the whole me wanting to work at adidas that whole thing like that facade is completely burnt out of my system was that what you originally wanted yeah when you I, moved up here? yeah my mom worked at taylormade can i get one of those yeah my mom worked at taylormade adidas golf in san diego nice <clears throat> there. and 
like I went to college for like arts and technology and like I've always like kind of like followed everybody else's oh this is the crush oh the, cru- the crush yeah. oh technology but uh like always following everybody else's shit and kind of like not ask really asking myself Aaron what do you want type of thing and and through meditation I've been able to tap in and and find what I want and I, I just want to feel good inside of myself at all times mm-hmm. and not run away from myself like I'd always been doing like right. oh let me let me get into Adidas and then I'm going to be with the brand and then I'm going to be worthy and mm-hmm. then as soon as like I started making a bunch of friends in those companies and they're just like you don't want no it. part of this yeah, they're <laughs> like, they're not, like you're not built for this yeah like yeah. I'm like I'm an artist through and through and and leaning into that and trusting it and even though I don't have like the the answers manifest in my life as like a big sum of money right now or anything like that it's like i can i can trust this this gut feeling that i have i'm like oh you're onto something right now and just trusting that and then really getting clear on oh i just broke this damn thing (laughs) really getting clear on what it is that i want i know you'll i know you'll use it later yeah (laughs) but uh really getting clear on what i want and then doing the necessary things to get them and just Going with Just it. Going for going it. Going with it. Yeah. That's dope. Damn, man. You you came to some self realizations early on in life, I would say. I'm only a couple years younger than you. I know, but you started this whole process of thinking inward when? Probably mid to late twenties? Yeah. Bro, I started thinking about this shit, what, forty five minutes yeah. ago when you started talking? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but it's I almost got a job at Adidas too when I first moved up. Yeah, it's and I was just I like, I would have been miserable because it's like, how do you say no once you start like yeah. getting a part of the system and then like the, the dynamic of like the politics and everything and like I like my ideas are meant to be implemented, mm-hmm. not just said and then overlooked yeah, and then vetoed or something. Yeah, fuck that shit. Like I got the vision. We're applying this shit. Period. And and I need I need to be around people that yes test it and like prod it a little bit, but that believe in me and will help me bring things into the world because they're ultimately taking into account everybody that's that will be affected by it. Mm-hmm. And and once I realized that, I'm just like, you know what? I don't need to doubt this shit anymore. Like, right. Like, just go for that. it. Yeah. Trust fuck that shit. Oh man, Adidas. Well, I'm glad I found out that because I'm a military vet. I can I have access to the employee store anytime I want. So that just basically took the job off the table for me. I'm like, why would I work there if I can just get shit half off <laughs> Same thing. Well, yeah, because I was, you know, I was panicking when we were getting ready to move up here uh, because we were living in L.A. And like I said, you know, my, my, my pops was sick, which is the reason why we dipped out of L.A. Uh, because he was up here at the VA hospital because, you know, he was dying of like a rare degenerative brain disease. And there's only a s- small handful of specialists in the country that deal with that thing. And because he's a vet, he s- exclusively went through the VA offices. And it just so happened, like, that's what I'm saying. Like, life is fucking weird. Like, he ended up having to come up here to the hospital. And while I was down in L.A., I was, like, working and coming up here to visit him and hang out all that stuff. And the job I was working in L.A. ended. And my wife, at the time, was working for you know, a company is like a high level director, directorate, what directorate? Yeah. Director. Direct directive. I don't know. She was a important motherfucker. Yeah. In marketing. <laughs> and she'd been doing that for like over a decade. And she came home one day. And she's like, I think I'm done with this. I want to do something else. And 
part of me is thinking like, but I need you to keep making money because I don't make no money right now. <laughs> and she's like, I want to go back to school. I want to become a nurse. That's what I originally wanted to do as an undergrad, but I panicked and just chose the easiest thing. And I was like, how long is it going to take? She's like, well, four years. I have to. I have a bachelor's in arts. I have to go back and do the bachelor's of science and nursing and all that. And I was like, so I need to support us for the next four years while we transition moving out of L.A. to go up to Portland and be close to my pops and your family. All right, fuck it, let's do it. I couldn't say no because when I dropped the news on her that I wasn't going to reenlist and get out of the military and pursue comedy, she, without hesitation, was like, yep, okay, do it. And now the time came for me to repay the favor. Yeah. And that's a lot of pressure on a a dude getting out of a career field where it's like job security, health care benefits and all that to take a chance on being a clown professionally. <laughs> yeah, it's like that's such a blessing though that you that you both have that mindset of not settling and and chasing after it like like that's what I'm looking for is somebody mm-hmm. that that has that ambition and that's doing their thing and cuz it's like we only have one life. It's like do you right. want to fucking be in this cubicle? Like everybody has a dream that that probably like I know some people's dream it is to be a, an Adidas and and they yeah. love their job. I yeah. know plenty of people there that love what they do and work on f- great projects mm-hmm. with like athletes and do really dope shit. That's their dream, but it's like I'm I'm I bet like close to seventy five percent, eighty, eighty five, ninety percent. It's mm-hmm. just like that wasn't exactly what they wanted to do, but no. it provides the security and that's the thing that's so like seductive of those things and and th- i think that's why we're so blessed like to have this covid thing happen because it forces everyone to be like you know what like i am gonna go paint or i'm gonna go make candles right, right now i'm gonna make some pottery and you started seeing people yeah. like break out skills like i didn't know you could do that yeah, I, didn't, yeah. That? <laughs> I didn't know you were you're an archer <laughs> <laughs> look at i've been doing it for like 20 years yeah now, you know? just, yeah i'm an hr guy just for the money yeah you know? like my buddy daniel I, who i spoke with today like just found his love for like plants so him and his girlfriend has just been buying up plants and he's been reading up on plants attending workshops about plants <laughs> like like he started an instagram for all those plants just called <laughs> at urban jungle revolution and it's like and anyway, i talked to him today i was like dude like maybe you need to open up a plant shop and, yeah. and we're talking about that and having those discussions like he was doing sales and marketing and stuff and he was saying like Looking on LinkedIn, he's like, oh, I don't want to fucking go into another sales mm-hmm. job. That doesn't feed my soul. I'm just like, well, right now is the time to start like, like mapping out that plan to to execute on your your new passion and your right. vision. It's like it's all there for you. And taking that opportunity, it's like there's a lot of fear involved, but it's like right now is the perfect time to strike. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The fear will never go away. No. I mean, I just this commercial just dropped, and I think my my stock is probably at peak right now for what it is that I do but I woke up this morning still like all right what's the next gig when's it coming mm-hmm. uh is this script gonna am I gonna sell this script like what's going on yeah but the fear drives you and drives me anyway you know it also gives me a lot of sleepless nights mm-hmm. I'm just sitting in my my little office while my wife is sound asleep and I'm just like staring at a dry erase board just with all kinds of mad scribbles on it of things. I look like a detective that's getting too close to the case. <laughs> I'm just like, what are you going to do? Because there's added pressure. It's not just me now. I'm not, I don't have the fortune of you know, like some of my peers in comedy and actors and stuff where it's just them solo dolo. It's like 
I have a family. I have responsibilities, so I have to push. I have to keep going and mm-hmm. and do these things. And I'm not done yet, man. No, I'm not done. No. I got, bro. I'm. You want to talk about trying to just? I'm like a pit bull, of like I I will not, I will not just settle for anything less right now. I already I've set my mind to it. I've already gone this far, which it ain't shit in the grand scheme of things. But like I, I'm not supposed to be doing anything else, man. Mm. I can't see myself doing shit else. And at this point, I think my family will be highly disappointed if I just went straight and got a job. They'd be like, what the fuck? Yeah. What the fuck? You let everybody down. Yeah. That would be the letdown. But then it's like you let yourself down by limiting that. Oh, yeah. Limiting yourself. Oh, yeah, man. Ah, man. It's a trip. Yeah, it is. It's a trip. It is. Well, I want to thank you so much for oh, taking yeah, this course, time. Man. This is fucking amazing. This is dope. Yeah, this is the longest podcast I've done. How long have we gone? 127. That's cool. Yeah, it's a nice nice little... Hopefully it'll be... Well, who who are some of the other people that you interviewed? Uh, probably more well-spoken people. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to the former guests. <laughs> yeah, it's like it just I've been really just talking to people I've met along the way out here, like a lot of like self-starters, entrepreneurs, clothing designers, musicians, just dope people that have great perspective mm-hmm. and yeah, just friends basically. Mm-hmm. Just talking to friends and it's like, okay, like let me just highlight all these amazing people that I've met along the way. Like mm-hmm. networking low key has been like my biggest level up over the last few years is just like putting myself in different rooms. Like I was driving like like Lyft and Uber and that's how I met Adam was through Lyft. I was Word? like, because I was trying to get into instrument. I was trying to yeah, get yeah. into the agency. So yeah. I was like, I was like, oh, I know who that is. So I was like, like kind of like fanboying in the in the front seat. Oh wow! And, but he was on the phone with his girlfriend Candy yeah, at the time. So I was gonna deliver my pitch. I was like, I'm about, <laughs> I'm about, uh, like advertising but with like a compassionate view and like yeah. i had it already but he was talking the whole entire time and i was like ah shit and i just handed up like a, a business card i was like hey like i'm a fan of your work oh, like man. hopefully we can line up and then you should have just locked the doors and just taken a couple laps around the block and like hey i'm not letting you out until you hear my pitch real quick <laughs> yeah but we were able to work on a, a sick project with the hoxton hotel through our friend donovan where i like hosted like a date night he was the host of it but i curated like mm-hmm. a, a dating experience because you know how portland date life yep. is so like that was my my foray is like being a creative director and facilitating this experience so i'm i am a creative director but it's like i gotta create my own shit right so right. that's where, where it's at shout out to adam down there big time in la now yeah, Apple Music. Yeah, sell out. I, I hope you're hearing me, Adam. Now that's the homie. I don't know. I I think I just met him. I think he was just at one of my shows, man. And he was just this, just this cool, kind of like artsy dude. And he was a fan of comedy. We just got to talking him and Ian Whitmore. Those two homies. Yep. Shout out to Ian. Just started getting to talking, and then now we're just like just homies sitting around grabbing drinks. And he was like one of the kind of like you. He was one of the people that i met up here where i got like a positive initial response like oh this is the type of person that i've always felt like i'd like to have in my circle and just with no ulterior motives Mm -mm. just to talk to creative kind of free thinking people uh and that's what was very attractive about portland in the beginning uh but i think i've met most of them uh they're still out there they're They're still still out there. there they're still out there but i'm in the like you said networking and all that stuff too I love that, but I think as I've gotten a little older and I'm kind of like easing my way into different facets of 
of industry, it's just like I want to make real connections with these people mm-hmm. and have some homies. Yeah. And if something happens along the line where we can benefit professionally off of each other's relationship, then that's cool. But I still feel good about scrolling through my phone and having contacts of dope people doing dope shit that I can just go grab a beer with or just watch a game or just chill, just do nothing with. You know what yep. I mean? That's that, the basis. And, and That's like the ground that. floor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm happy with that as well. I got to have you on my podcast, man. That would be beautiful. Yeah. I can't wait. Uh, I, it's, I do a podcast called Did We Solve It? <laughs> Did We Solve It? Did We Solve It? Oh. It's uh, three, the tagline is three ignorant comedians try to solve racism. Oh, beautiful. And I, I can't wait. It's it, it, It'll be dope to have you on. It's me. It's another comic here in Portland, Jake Silverman, who is my sweet Jewish baby boy. And our other buddy, Niraj Srinivasan, an mm-hmm. Indian cat. I think I saw you guys at the Mississippi Pizza spot. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, came, I, slid through, I slid through one mm-hmm. of those shows. But uh, surprise, uh, we've had endless topics to talk about over the last couple of months with everything that's going on, police brutality and the Black Lives Matter movement. And it's just our way of, I mean, we've been doing the pod for like two years now. But it's just like, they're... People here in Portland don't really want to talk about race uh, outside of their own race. Sure. Black folks, we're always talking about race within black w- within our own company. White folks like to talk about race, but th- I feel like they're talking at us about race. So, so, you know, we took it upon ourselves. Hey, what about this weird group of dudes, an Indian dude, a Jewish guy, and a whatever Shane is? <laughs> uh, I'm usually the voice of the black rep- – I'm the black representative on the, on the pod, but – we always have guests on. We're always talking about what's going on. And, you know, because we're comics, we're not insensitive. Uh, we're not trying to downplay the seriousness of any type of situation. But we talk about the topic of race and the only way comedians can talk about it. Mm-hmm. And people listen. I think they dig it. We haven't had a lot of bad response, no pushback. People seem to, like, the crazy thing about it is people reach out. White people have reached out to us. Like, this is kind of like uh I listen to you guys pod and it's kind of been a more digestible way to hear about what's going on within, you know, my city, you know, Portland and, and, and everything like that. And yeah, some people have labeled me the angry black guy on the pod, but yeah, I'm coming in with a lot of heat and anger. If we're talking about police brutality and, and how the cops won't stop killing niggas, you know, how mm-hmm. else am I supposed to be with that? But I'm gonna have you on the pod. Oh yeah. No, I, I definitely look forward to that. Where can people find you on the interwebs? On the interwebs. It's, it's Shane Brendan, S H A I N B R E N D E N cross platforms. But I will let you know, I, I kind of officially unofficially quit Twitter like a month ago uh, for my you. own mental health. Yeah. I still have an account, but it's not on my phone. I can't really remember my username and password, so it's a real ordeal for me to log on there. <laughs> uh, I'm not really on Facebook anymore. I also got rid of that. I'm on the gram because I feel like I can I do better on there. I was never really winning on Twitter. Uh, and just ShaneBrendan.com. See what other dumb stuff I pop up in. And, uh, yeah, check out that 2K commercial, man. And I don't know. Buy buy the game. Support Damian Lillard. He know, We know he needs our money. Uh, <laughs> he's going through a rough time right now with no NBA. Uh, also, just give me some money. How about that? <laughs> How about that? Well, thank you, Shane. And thank you all for listening to Opening Presence. Hell yeah.